God, help us to hear you in the silence, in the sighs, in the whispers, in the scripture, in the prayers, in the song. Open our ears, Lord, and open our eyes. We want to see you. Amen. My first cousin, Collins, um, was named after his, uh, where his grandparents met um, years ago. Collins went in the, was in the Navy. He lives down in Fairhope now, and uh, I consider him a close friend. But his grandparents met in Collins. And so when he was born, they named him Collins. And his dad always says, I'm just thankful they didn't meet in Pelahatchee, you know? Um, names are important. I don't know if you heard the first thing Max said when he read Scripture. I've been reading it all week, and I didn't hear the first word. Beloved. 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 As if you miss your name, it's hard to know where you're from. If you miss that name, it's, it's hard to know who you really are. See, we start with beloved because before we loved God, God loved us first. Or we received love like Lucy, right? Water on her head. No, we're going to tell her that she's loved by God. She's part of the beloved community. She belongs to a God who never runs out of love and grace and patience. And we will live in such a way is that she will know where she's from so that in just a few years she might be able to make her own decision and respond. Oh, where are you from? What is, what is your name? Now, 1 Peter is a great and grand letter reminding people that they're loved and they needed to hear it because they were from some peculiar towns and cities stretched across modern Turkey and they were dealing with all kinds of persecution Remember now, in the first century, Christianity was a small, slither minority in a large, large kingdom called the Roman Empire that had many, many gods. But no, this group, series of churches, they were just holding on, white-knuckling on to their own identity, trying to live out in the midst of a world that didn't understand who they were, and they were beginning to pay dearly for it. Peter's, Peter's letter is pastoral. It's encouraging. Uh, it's mostly positive. Peter must have been a Methodist, you know. It sounds like something a Methodist might say, right? Be encouraged. You're people of living hope, a resurrected hope. You've been given a new birth into a living Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where you're from. You've got an inheritance that will never run out, never spoil or fade. Well, then why all the suffering, Peter? When we're doing everything right, why are we suffering? And Peter says, when, when you suffer, rejoice. You're being refined by the fire. Therefore, says Peter, don't you settle. Don't go backwards. 
Don't be any less of who you are because of what other people are doing. You keep living in to your origin, to your birthplace, beloved. Peter goes on, have a sincere love for each other. Love each other, he says, deeply from the heart. And in so many words, he says, quit acting like fools. <laughs> quit acting so crazy. Act. Act like you're beloved. Live into that. If and when you suffer, suffer for doing the right thing. We all suffer. You might as well suffer for doing the right thing. Take the honorable stand. Lift up others. See, everybody suffers for something in this world. Suffer for the good thing, says Peter. Offer one another hospitality without grumbling, is what he says earlier in the letter. I love this text for many reasons. Um, and it's beautiful, and you can read it in about five minutes. Read First Peter and check it out for yourself and read the whole book. But it reminds me of a book that uh, they must have a trunk full of it, um, the Wheelers back there. They gave me this book called The Red Sea Rules. Anybody read that? It's really good. It doesn't take long. Yeah, you've read it, Georgia? It doesn't take long to read. But it talks about what, what I really said in our baptism. It's in our liturgy about water and about God opening up the sea. And about that whole story that you learned in vacation Bible school that you didn't realize was a great way of living, way of life, way of thinking. I'm not going to give you all ten rules today, but I want to give you three of them because they match up so well with, with 1 Peter. Here's the first Red Sea rule. When you're in a difficult place, realize the Lord either placed you there um, or allowed you to be there for reasons perhaps known only to God. No matter what your life is about right now, how messed up it may seem, how worried you may seem, you're, you're right where God needs you to be. Hagar went through a terrible time, but God provided. Joseph was thrown into a pit. God provided. Moses was trying as hard as he could to get out of his job description. And it gave him a lot of sleepless nights. I'm sure he would have rather stayed in Midian. David, they all found themselves in places they probably didn't want to be in. And so shall you. Beloved, do not think it strange, says First Peter, Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, you're right, right where you need to be. In the world, says Jesus, you will find tribulation. John 16, 33. But be of good cheer, says Jesus. I have overcome the world. He goes on to say this. Wherever you are, he says, remind yourself this. I'm here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, and for his time. You're right where you need to be. Rule number two in this. Be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. Now that's a hard one. Because when I'm between a rock and a hard place, I just want God to get me out of it. But this writer says, you know, though you may, you may want to do that, you may want to ask, God, how are you going to be glorified in this? Well, what are you going to do in this situation to reveal yourself? 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. Psalm 34. Rule number three. And this is a good one. Do y'all hear all that devil talk back here in the, in, when the congregation, I mean, not the, the choir. I mean, it wasn't devilish, but they, they mentioned the devil a few times. And we, right? No, no, it's not devil talk. That sounds, sounded terrible. They kind of mentioned that there are principalities and powers that will move against God's justice, that will move against you, that the harder... The harder you try and the more, more you try to be faithful to God, sometimes the greater the headwind, right? His third rule says, acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. Acknowledge your enemy. And what I love about it is that he compares Pharaoh to the devil or to Satan, right? Pharaoh, kind of like the devil, sort of got plundered by the goodness of God, right? Lost, lost power, but... But the devil is there, just like Pharaoh. Just those wheels are grinding toward the Red Sea, trying to track us down, right? And no matter how far you go, sometimes, and, and sadly, the devil never shows up in red spandex, right? You know, in a pitchfork, you know, that'd be easy to see. Most of the time, it's like, it's like, maybe it's sort of like an energy vampire, you know, where my energy and my zeal for God and God's ministry starts to slowly leak out. Sometimes it's in the form of my own ego, right? My own ego, somebody says something and I start to play the victim and it's all about me. Sometimes it's just about discouragement. And you know that thing that I was so excited about or, or that project, it just didn't happen and I, I let Pharaoh or I let the devil just get the best of me. But you see, we're called to acknowledge that there's, there are always going to be forces and principalities that work against us. And that's just, that's just the rent we pay for living in the world. But even so, God uses those times when we're beset to make something beautiful out of our lives. God uses the cracks and the doubts and the hurts and the injuries, even our own mistakes, and turns them inside out if we will only give it to Him. Paul says, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, how do we respond? We draw near to Christ. We keep ourselves under the protective cloud of His grace. Resist Him. It says in 1 Peter, steadfast in the faith. Now, I don't preach about this often. I don't talk about it a lot because I don't want, you know, uh, uh, there's a sort of an other overboard side, you know, where like everything is the devil made me do it, you know, kind of thing. And like I, I blame every mistake I make on some greater force when I don't think most of the time the devil has to work all that hard on me, you know, to make my mistakes. And so it's almost like to give these powers too much credit. But, but in all your ways, in those Small things. And be zealous about your faith. Step by step, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
each and every day. Don't get so overwhelmed about what might happen five years from now. But what can you do today by the Red Sea? How can you and I and us get the courage to take the first step in the water? And know that the water is going to part. How are you going to respond? Now, last week I talked a little bit about the fuel for our faith. That is hope. The hope that get a living hope giving given to all of us. And now today, just for a little bit, it's another H word, humility. Humility may be the way in which we go about exercising our hope. This is not humility, though. Humility is not, oh, I'm a terrible person. Because you're not. Humility is the ability to walk into a room no matter how many people are there, and go, I am no better or no worse than anybody in this room. By the grace of God, we're all the same. Humility is leaving room for God to work, which is what I think First Peter would want us to do. That intractable problem, that thing that's got you worried and keeps you up at night, give God some room to work in your life and in your space. Knowing that God is way more creative than you or me or us together. It's making room for the Lord of the universe, the King of the Sabbath, the one who loves you and me, the one who calls you and me beloved. God, I give you room. I don't know how your hope meter or humility meter how, how it is in your life right now, but maybe this week might be a good time. Just each and every day, Lord, increase my hope. Let that be your prayer this week. Show me, God, how I can humbly follow you with humility. And God, let me give you space to work. Maybe that's our challenge as a church, is to not be discouraged so much is going on. So much is going on right here in this church. Right here in this community. Maybe instead of focusing on everything that we lack, what about all of our riches? Surely in Turkey or, or ancient Turkey or Asia Minor, these churches worked with a lot less than we've got to work with. And yet because of their faithfulness, we're singing to God and reminding each other of the amazing grace that saved us, that is out to save the world. Where's your hope and where's your humility? Fear not, little flock, whatever your lot. He enters all rooms, the doors being shut. He never forsakes, He never is gone. So count on his presence in darkness and dawn. May God bless us all with hope and humility. And if you don't remember anything else, never forget where you came from. You are from beloved. And God loves you with a never-ending love. Let us pray.